When you get your Bible, turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. Now, over the next few weeks, I want to look together at these last few verses of Matthew's Gospel. One of the things I believe God has called us to be is a place of excellence in making disciples. And so we're going to use these uh, and reflect on these, these verses at the end of Matthew's, the Great Commission, as we look at how we might become excellent in making disciples, as Christ asks us to be. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. said, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Thanks be to God. It's a very familiar passage for us, isn't it? The Great Commission. Go into all the world, make disciples. One of the two kind of commands, if you like, that Jesus gave. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and your neighbour as yourself. Go into all the world and make disciples. The two things, if you were to summarise the Christian faith, the two things that we're left with, if you want to boil it all down. Love God, love yourself, love your neighbour, go and make disciples. And it's the second part, the go and make disciples, that we're going to look at. Now this comes, obviously, at the end of Matthew's Gospel. So you've had the disciples who have been with Jesus the whole time. They've been there ever since Jesus was there on the lakes of Galilee, on the, uh, on the seashore there. And he said to his disciples, like, John, you, I want you, Matthew, I want you, come and leave those tax ledgers. And, and he chose his disciples... And they left everything and started to follow him. And Jesus started walking around Galilee at first, different places, preaching and teaching and healing. And his disciples were there and they were watching what was going on. And then really early on in his ministry, Jesus said to his disciples, now you go out and do the same thing. He said, I've been doing it, I've been preaching and teaching, healing. Now I want you to go do it. And they went out and they did that and they came back really excited about everything that they saw and experienced. And then Jesus took 72, not just the 12, and he sent them out and they came back. And then they gradually carried on with Jesus and listened to his teaching in public, but they had those private times with him as well where they would just be together, just a few of them, talking with Jesus, experiencing and asking and receiving and trying to figure it all out. And gradually then Jesus worked his way down to Jerusalem and we have the amazing entry on Palm Sunday that we celebrate on the donkey with all the palms coming down and everybody's praising and worshipping, here comes the Messiah. And then not a week later, just on the, on the Thursday, he's up in that upstairs room on the same week, having that last supper, breaking the bread, sharing the wine, saying, this is going to be me, my body. This is me, my blood. And then he took them out into Gethsemane and he was there saying, pray with me because my hour is coming. And they all fell asleep. And then, do you remember then Judas came back with the the Romans and and the Jews and they arrested Jesus and the disciples all ran away. And then they see Jesus hanging on the cross. And they think this is the end. 
Why have we spent three years of our lives to finish like this? But then Jesus dies, but he raises again. He comes back to life and he appears to them. And he is, it says in the Gospels, he appears to more than 120 of them on different occasions. And he comes and he meets with them and he's risen. And they feel him and they see him and they experience him once more. And then we come right at the end. He tells them to go back into Galilee where it all started. Go up the mountaintop there and I'm going to meet with you. And then he says these words before he ascends back up into heaven. So the 11 disciples, Judas is no longer with them obviously, go back up there and they saw him, verse 17, they worshipped him. And that's quite natural, we can understand that. And then it says those three words, but some doubted. Some of the eleven, some of those closest to Jesus still didn't understand. Still doubted the realness of who Jesus was, what he come to do. It's one of the reasons I love scripture, because it is so real. If you were to write scripture, you wouldn't put those three words in, would you? If you were trying to write a book on faith, you would not say, well, these guys followed him for three years, and right at the end, just before Jesus left, still they doubted him. You would just say, no, they wouldn't. No, no, they came there, they worshipped him, Jesus said these words, and then he vanished up into heaven. Fantastic. But the scripture records what actually happened. Some of them, and I guess Matthew would be one, still doubted. You know, when I was younger... I went on a, uh, on a camp, a Christian camp, and I was there at the back and there was uh, about 120 young people in this camp. And we had an evening based on prayer, and we were outside in this farmer's field and there was this big marquee. And I was at the back because I was in charge of the generator. And about three quarters of the way through the evening session, the generator would start to, the, 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 uh, the fuel tank on the generator wasn't long enough. So I'd, I'd be listening to the generator and when it started to, you know, start flagging a little bit, I'd have to run out and fill it up, otherwise we'd all be in pitch darkness. And the band wouldn't be out of play and the microphones would all stop. So I was at the back of this thing. And I remember we were having this evening session and it was all about prayer. And what happened was that the minister at the front, he stood up and he started talking about prayer and we need to pray and prayer and this, that, the other about prayer. I don't know what he said. It was all very good stuff. But then he said, you know, in a little while we're going to invite anybody who wants to pray just to pray. And then one of these young teenagers obviously weren't listening to the instructions because they just started praying. And the, the minister at the front who was leading it had to just be quiet because this young person just started praying. And then another young person started praying. And then another one. And there wasn't any of these holy gaps in between the prayers. They just started praying one after the other. And then the whole tent was filled with prayer. And it just went on and the minister just went, oh well. And just sat down and said, well I'm kind of, let, let, let's God take over here. And I was standing there at the back and I was worshipping and I was going, this is amazing. And then I felt this hand on my head. And I looked round, and it was Christ standing there with his hand on top of me, holding it there. And he said some things that I'm not going to tell you about to me. And I just stood there and I marveled and I looked 
of Jesus Christ. And I stood there for what seemed like ages. And then all of a sudden in my head, I thought, I couldn't hear anybody else. So I thought, maybe everybody's looking at me with Jesus here. So I turned around to see everybody else carrying on praying. And just completely ignoring me. And when I turned back, Christ had gone. Now let me ask you, do you believe what I've just said? Or did I just make that up? You can understand why some of the disciples might have doubted. Just in the same way, you're now thinking, was he telling me the truth, or was he just making that up? He was telling me earlier, we might be starting a, a, a kiss cam in the church. I wasn't really suggesting that. And you're thinking the same thing now. Well, I know David, so do I believe him? Or if you, if you don't know me quite so well, you're kind of going, well, I, I don't know, like, it, it, could, it could be true, I suppose, but is it? And that's the situation that the disciples were in. They didn't really understand. They still hadn't got it all figured out in their minds. They didn't really know who Jesus was. They'd been there, experienced, but some of them still had these questions inside of them. Is it? What's, What's coming next? Could it really be? And in the honesty of Scripture... And in the honesty of the Gospels, it says some of them doubted. And then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples. Now usually when we read this passage, we go straight to verse 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And we do a disservice and we miss out the context in which it happens. Jesus said first, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. These are incredibly strong words, aren't they? Every authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. He owns it all. He's above it all. It's all there. I heard about it. I think this is a true story. Amy Carter, you know President Carter? His daughter. She came home one Friday night with some homework, some history homework about the Industrial Revolution. And she said, uh, she looked at it and she couldn't understand the question. And so she said to her mum, she said, Mum, the first lady, she said, Mum, can you help me with my history homework? Not uncommon scenario. But her mum looked at the question about the Industrial Revolution and went, I don't really understand the question either. So she got on the phone and she phoned up somebody that she knew who was a bit of a history buff in the Labour Department in the presidential you know, government. Told him the question. Now he thought that this question had come via the president. He thought the president had spoken to his wife and the wife then was telling him to go and do this. So he said, well, I don't actually know the answer, but leave it with me. When do you need it by? She said, well, I kind of need it by Monday. Because Monday, you know, that's when her daughter had to hand her homework in. So she said, I need it by Monday. Well, this guy then got all the government resources he could find. People working on this question about the Industrial Revolution the whole weekend. 
And apparently by Sunday afternoon, this truck arrived at the White House, piled high of books and, and, uh, and stuff, research that they had had this whole team of specialists working on, that they then delivered to the White House. And they said, here you go, Mom, First Lady, here is the answer to your question. And then our poor, poor daughter had to wade through all this stuff, write out the answer and hand it in. She got a C for it, apparently, which says a lot. But that is authority. Authority, first and foremost, is privilege. If you or me were to phone up the Prime Minister today and say, excuse me, Mr Cameron, I've got this history homework that I'm kind of struggling with. Do you think you could give me a hand? I'm not sure we would get very far, would we? The, uh, the Prime Minister's office would go, well, I'm really sorry, because it's an election year, they have to be polite. I'm really sorry about that, but perhaps you should consult the local library and put the phone down. But when the daughter of the President of the United States asked the question, all the doors started opening. That's what privilege does. Also, permission. Authority gives permission. I was walking by the Houses of Commons yesterday, the Houses of Parliament. And when you walk by there, you notice all these high gates and everything else. And then there's this little sign where the gate is open and it says, basically, trespassers will be shot. Right? And you know that if you walk in there and you haven't got permission, you're in real trouble. I have been to the Houses of Commons with a letter from the MP because I had an invitation to a, some do or other that they did for all. It was actually an election year again, funnily enough, where they invited all the religious leaders of Harrow to come down for a reception. Then I came and walked in with my invitation held high. Don't shoot me. I've been invited. And so you get them permission to go and do things that otherwise you can't do. Because the authority that that piece of paper had gave me the permission. Authority also gives power. The power to make things happen. The government of our country has a certain amount of power, doesn't it? That's why we elect them. They can raise taxes, they can drop taxes. They can put taxes up on alcohol and drop it down on petrol, or vice versa, it's up to them. They talk about it, they discuss it, they shout at one another, and then they vote, and then they make changes. And that's what authority does. It gives you power. The most powerful person in Amy Carter's life was the teacher. Because she had the power to give that red C at the bottom of the thing. You haven't done what I asked you to do. You haven't answered the question correctly. That's power. Authority gives rule as well. The ability to judge, to set the rules, the parameters. Teachers do that. This is what I want to receive. This is my marking scheme. And this is how I'm going to judge against it. Authority gives you that rule. And it also gives you a control and an influence that affects the lives of others. Think about that poor staff team. The guy gets that message, we've got to do this thing on the Industrial Revolution. All weekend is cancelled. You're staying in the office. You're working on this. We have to do it. The president wants it by Monday or Sunday afternoon. It has to be done. 
So you've got to stay here. I don't care what plans you had. You might have been having people over. Forget it. It's not happening. And so it transforms and it changes the lives of individuals. That's what authority does. And Jesus here says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The greatest authority that we have on earth is nothing, is surpassed by the authority that Jesus Christ has. And that is the context in which we go and we work and we minister for him. He has all the authority. Turn in your Bibles just over to Mark, the beginning of Mark's Gospel. It's probably on the same page or just over. Look what it says in Mark 1.21. Right at the start of his ministry, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law. You see, what used to happen was that they used to teach and they used to just quote other people. So I'd say today's reading is Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Now let me tell you what Schleimacher thinks about Matthew 28, 16 to 20, and I'll tell you what he thinks about it. Let me tell you what Bart thinks about it. Let me tell you what Augustine thinks about it. Let me tell you what Thomas Aquinas wrote about it, or Luther, or Maltman, or Bultman, or all these other theologians from past years. I thought about it. That's how the Jews used to teach. Rabbi so-and-so said this about this. Rabbi so-and-so said something else about this. And that's how they would teach. But Jesus, he would just stand up and say, you want to know what it means? This is what it means? Let me tell you. Let me tell you a story that explains it. Let me tell you in plain English what it means. It means like I was walking by the House of Commons the other day. This happened. This is really what this passage means. And so Jesus, it says, was one that taught with authority because he didn't have to use any of these other people. He could just explain the scriptures to the people and they went, my goodness, where did he learn all this stuff? How did he do this? And so it amazed them. Verse 23, Just then a man in the synagogue, in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly, come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And then the next story we might read is about him healing the sick. And everybody brought people who were sick and he healed many and various kinds of diseases and drove out many evil spirits and so on. You see, Jesus didn't have to drop any names. He didn't have to bring anything from the past in. He just did the business. And he taught and he stood with authority. The authority that his father had given to him. Authority over sickness, authority over spirit in the spiritual realm, authority in teaching. Jesus had all authority. And in John's Gospel at the beginning, John 1.12, it says he has the authority even to welcome you and me as children of God. That's the level of authority that Jesus has. And so he says to them right at the outset, before you go, let me just remind you, all authority in heaven 
and on earth has been given to me. Now when we think about authority, that word, we need to think about it in two contexts. Because authority has both power and rights. First of all, it has power, dunamis in the Bible. Power is the ability to do something. Exousia is the right, the right to do something. And so often you have one and not the other. You know when you go out and you see one of those beautiful lawns? It's just, it looks like it's just perfect green. Every grass is exactly like some guy has come and measured every blade of grass on there and cut it the same height. You know what it is? And it, and it looks like a feather bed, doesn't it? And, and everything within you wants to just walk on it and, and take your shoes and socks off and go, oh. And there's always that pesky little sign on it that says, do not walk on the grass. And they always have this tiny little chain link fence, don't they? That's about one millimetre off the ground. And everything within you wants to just go, yeah, but I can walk over there. I, I can just take my shoes and socks off. I have the power to walk on that. But you don't have the authority. You could do it if you want to, but then you know that some big burly guy is going to come up and go, Oi! Get off the grass! Can't you read? And then, you know, you'll either be carted off or whatever. That's power without authority. Sometimes you have the authority without the power. Now, I'm the pastor of the church. So I could say to Ronnie, Ronnie, sorry mate, I'm going to play today. It's alright? I'm going I'm to do the keys. Let, let me just go up there. I, I'm going to lead worship today. I mean, you're good and all that, but you know, I'm the pastor. I'm going to pull rank because I feel like leading worship. I've got the authority you would soon find out that I don't have the power. Right? Because when I get up there and start leading worship, I'm pretty sure after about five bars, you'll be going, oh please, let Ronnie, please get Ronnie back out there. Please, please, just stop. You're hurting our eardrums. If you don't stop, we're just going to go for coffee. You know, that's authority, but that hasn't got the power that goes with it. I can't play the keyboard like he can. I can try, I could put on the demo button, I can press that one and pretend, but that's as far as it goes. That's authority without power, but Jesus has both power and authority. And it's when you have power and authority together that you can really bring change, and God brings change into people's lives. Why did Jesus say this? before he asks us to go and make disciples that we'll be looking at in a couple of weeks' time. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He wanted to remind them of the difference that knowing Christ makes. Firstly, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul talks about us as being ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador is someone who represents that country. And so they have power, they have authority, but it's given to them by someone else. It's not inherent with us. It's given. And we are Christ's ambassadors in that Jesus has all the authority and all the power. But he wants to flow that through you and through me. He wants to bring it down and allow it to flow out through us. We do not have the power and authority in and of ourselves. 
We can't do anything. But what we do do is allow Christ's power and Christ's authority that's been given by the Father access in us and through us. And that also gives us great boldness. One of the things I can't stand is timid believers. Drives you nuts. They go out there and they're so apologetic about everything. Oh yeah, I know. And somebody's asking questions and they don't say anything. Well, yeah. Do you go to church on Sunday? Yeah. Kind of. Once in a while. Well, can you tell me about Jesus? Well, why don't you come along? Maybe on a week when I'm not there. You know, and they're like so, so apologetic. I was doing shelter breakfast this week. And there was a guy in the shelter and he started talking about this, that and the other, about religion and how religion causes this and does that. And, and finally I just went, you're talking absolute nonsense. It's rubbish. Because I thought, why am I standing here trying to be very English and polite when actually he's just talking rubbish? It was just nonsense. So I said to him, you're just talking nonsense. That's not, you haven't got it right. You can't use that. That's, that's not even a valid argument. And so we ended up talking a bit more. Because I thought, I'm not just going to stand here and be timid when he's talking about things of faith that actually he doesn't, obviously doesn't know much about. Thinks he does. But his arguments and everything else showed me that he didn't really know what he was talking about. We serve a Christ that has authority. And so that gives us boldness. Boldness in speaking about our faith. Boldness in calling people to change. Now we can't change them, but we know that if we invite them to change, and they say, yes, I want to change, I want to receive Jesus Christ, then Christ will come in and He has the authority and the power to do that transformation within them. And so we can speak about faith with boldness. Because it's not something that doesn't make sense. It's not something that is just in our own thinking. It's something that comes from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And He's given it to us and then you wants to use it through us to transform the community around us. And so we need to talk with that kind of boldness when we're talking to others. And how do we do that? Well, in Matthew 20... It talks about how we do it, really briefly. Matthew 20, it says, in verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We talk with boldness. We have the power and the authority of God flowing through us. But how do we display that? We don't lord it over people. We do it through service and through servanthood. Jesus, on the night that he was going to be betrayed, on the night in that upstairs room, what did he do? First of all, he washed their feet. He took off his outer garment and he got down like a servant And he washed their feet. And he said, you've got to do the same thing. Serve others so that you have love that gives the parameters of how the authority will flow. 
Because when authority flows and it doesn't have love, it becomes dictatorial, hierarchical, and just not good. But when authority flows through love, that's when people's lives are affected and when real change happens. And one last thought as we think about the authority of Christ. Because Christ has given us his authority, it flows through us. We know that God can change situations. I love the prayers that Melina gave this morning. Because she was praying knowing that Christ has the authority to impact every situation that we prayed for. Christ can make changes in people's lives, in the life of communities, in the life of nations, in the life of our world. And so we pray with that kind of boldness when we come to Christ. Lord, I can't do anything, but I know that you can because all authority has been given to you. Lord, I can't heal anybody, but I know that you can because all authority has been given to you. Lord, I can't change this situation and this relationship, but I know that you can because all authority has been given to you. And so we come to Christ and we bang on Christ's door. And we say, Lord, I'm not going to stop pestering you until we see that authority come and working in that situation. Jesus said, didn't he? He said, go like this. Somebody comes over to you late at night. You haven't got any food left in the fridge. You need milk or something else. What do you do? You go to your neighbor, you bang on the door. Nothing. You go back, you bang on the door. Nothing. You go back, you bang on the door. And then you hear the wife kick the husband saying, go down and see who that is. They're interrupting our sleep. And so the husband comes down all bleary-eyed in his boxer shorts and t-shirt with that kind of drool coming down the side of his face. Yeah, what do you want? I need milk. Go away. Slams the door in your face and then you just keep banging because you're thinking, I can't get milk anywhere else this time of night. So you bang again. What do you want? Milk. Go away. You bang again. What do you want? Milk, like I said last time. And it starts to clog, you know, his brain's starting to unclog from all that sleep. And he finally says, well, go get the milk and just leave us alone. And so he lets you in to get the milk. Jesus said, that's how we pray. Just go to God and say, God, I want you to heal this person. I can't do it, but I know you can. Because all authority has been given to you. And God, if you don't do it today, I'm going to be knocking on your door tomorrow. And then the next day, and the next day, and the next day. There is no account in the scriptures where God ever got upset with somebody praying over and over again. Do you know that? They can go day after day after day, just keep banging on God's door saying, Lord, I ain't giving up. And even if I die and I go to heaven, I'm still going to be asking you the same question. Because I'm, I'm here for the long run. Do it. And God says, I love that kind of prayer. I love it when my children do that. I love it when they come to me like that. Because they recognize that the authority is in Jesus Christ. And he can transform situations. We need to allow that message to filter into us. This week, when you talk to others and share with others about faith, do it with boldness because of the authority. Not that you have, but that Christ has. Christ's authority is always one of service. It's always one of love. It's always one where he gives free choices. That's why Christ doesn't come down right now and say, Syria, that's it, end of story. Because he gives free will and free choice to us. 
And when we share the message of the gospel, we allow, God allows others to have the choice. He says, I love you. I died for you. I want you to become one with me. I want that relationship. But I, I give you the choice. It's up to you. I can't do any more. Because how can, I, how can I demonstrate my love any greater than giving you that freedom to make the decision for yourself? And so we come and we recognize that he gives us that choice. But he is the one that has authority and power. You know, some of us act a little bit like Superman sometimes. You know, I love those old Superman movies. Because he stands there like this, doesn't he? In his outfit, right? And what happens? Some guy comes up to him with a gun. And he starts shooting at him in the chest. And what happens? Every bullet goes flying off his chest. And he goes, you can't hurt me with bullets. And then what happens? The guy goes click on his gun and it runs out. And what happens then? He invariably throws the gun at Superman. And what does Superman do? He ducks. Have you seen that? He ducks out of the way. Bullets can't hurt him, but obviously empty guns can. Because he just ducks out of the way while the guy runs off. Sometimes we are like that. We come to church and we say, all authority, yeah Lord, we believe that. But then when we go out through the week and something happens in our lives, we forget the authority of Christ. We forget what we're so strong on standing here doing this on a Sunday. But when it comes to Wednesday or Thursday, we're ducking and weaving and running. Christ wants us to be consistent. All authority is given to him. And through him, if we allow it, it will flow in us and through us to transform the community, transform us, our families, our friends, the community around us. Are you going to be like Superman? Or are you going to be like Jesus' disciples who stood up on Pentecost and allowed that authority to transform a whole community of people? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you because all authority has been given to you from your Father. And you pour that out into us and through us. One of the key characteristics of knowing your Spirit within us is that boldness. Your first disciples on Pentecost and thereafter were bold people who were willing to even go and die for you, but keep that same boldness. May we know your power and your authority, not to lord it over anybody, but that we may be channels of that authority in serving other people around us. And so they may see the love that you have for them and be invited to come and be transformed. We thank you and we praise you. In the name of Christ. Amen.